Father, in Jesus' name, by the power of your sweet, wonderful Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bless us this evening. Lord, that you would favor us. Our hearts are ready, Lord. Our, our minds have come prepared, Lord. We, we are open to receive a word from you. And I pray, Lord, that you yourself would speak to us. And more than anything, Lord, please, will you ensure that we leave this place closer to you than when we came in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to ask you, please, to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start reading from verse 36, and the title of the word this evening is Devoted, and I want to speak about probably my favorite subject to preach about and teach on in the Scriptures and it is about our love relationship with our Savior, with our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at an example in the Bible, in the New Testament, that Jesus himself pointed to as an example that we should look at. And so let's be obedient to him. And let's read together Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, asked Jesus to come up and eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Let's just pause here for a moment. So this is the story so far. Simon the Pharisee, teacher of the law, um, you know that Christ very often publicly chastised the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, um, and said kind things about them like, you're a brood of snakes, you're like an empty rotting corpse, you're like an empty gravestone, right? What he was addressing was these, these men who had added more than 300 laws to the Ten Commandments that God had revealed to His people in the desert through Moses. And these people were living in such bondage, you know, really constricted, were, were so concentrated on religion that they had really no time to focus on the relationship that God wanted to have with them. So as one of these teachers of the law, clearly Simon must have heard him speak, um, heard him preach and teach, and was interested and fascinated enough that he invites Christ to come to his home. And I'll explain to you in a few minutes why that's such a big deal. Now, here's this woman who, by the way, is nameless. I believe on purpose. I believe that the Holy Spirit, when he inspired these words, made sure that she remained nameless so that we could all put our own name in her place. This is so that we can all relate to her and so what happens is that uh, she hears that Jesus is in town. She must have heard him speaking. She must have seen him, 
you know, perform miracles and just seen the love in him. And so she makes her way to the house, and she, it sounds like she pretty much almost just barges into the house. She wasn't invited. And Jesus was reclined kind of on a bed or a couch, as you would do with your guests. You invite them in. Typically, it's still, it's still practiced today in, in many parts of the Middle East. You come in from outside. It's hot. You're covered in dust. And usually there's a bowl of water, and either the guests will wash your, your feet or you can wash your own feet. And then because the, the sun is so hot beating down on your head, they'll often rub, uh, it's usually olive oil, but some oil in your head just to give it a bit of moisture. And these are both signs, um, amongst others, they offer you food and drink, but it, it's, it's a couple of signs to say to you, you are welcome. You are welcome. It was also a sign, by the way, specifically for the Pharisees and the Sadducees were similar, some of the sects, that you would come in from the house and wash your feet because that was a kind of a purification, right? There is this thought in, in, in Hebrew tradition that your feet are you and you are your feet. That's why when the scripture says, blessed are the feet of him who brings good news, it's not just the person's feet, it's the person who's bringing the good news, because the idea is that when your feet move, all of you moves with your feet, right? And so in essence, what you're saying to someone by washing their feet is that we are, you are being cleansed, you've come into, this is God's home, we worship and serve Him, you're welcome. And so this is the context, Christ is reclined, He's talking to the group of men in the room, and the picture we have is that this woman comes from behind and it must have been a case where the couch was elevated because it says that she was standing and she comes from behind, walk, goes to his feet, which have not been washed, right? And we'll see what, where Jesus references that later on. And so she washes his feet with her tears, dries them with her hair, and then takes this alabaster jar of perfume, this very expensive perfume, she breaks it open, and she pours the perfume on his feet. Not on his head, but on his feet. So this is the story so far. So Simon the Pharisee, the religious guy, looks at this woman. I mean, listen, people would have been shocked, because even today in the Middle East, you know, in the very uh, religious uh, traditions, um, practices, women don't touch men and men don't touch women. You know, in many parts of the Middle East, women sit, in, if, even in the synagogues, the women sit one side, the men sit one side. That's still common practice. So can you imagine, we're talking 2,000 years ago, people would have been shocked that this woman came out of nowhere, uninvited, in a room full only of men, and comes and does this. I mean, it was, really, it was radical. And so Simon is thinking... Um, it's amazing to me that he didn't tell it to get out, but he's looking at the scene and he's thinking to himself, you know, if this man, Jesus, if he was a real prophet, he would know what kind of woman it is that's touching him. Because back in the day, and I, as I understand this is still true again in some parts of the Arab world, but back in the day, the way that a prostitute would try to attract your attention or to give a signal that she was a prostitute and that you could go into her house and do whatever, was that she would let her hair down, right? So imagine, not only has a woman come into the room, 
It's a woman who lets her hair down and then she touches the man who is, a ho- who is recognized even by the rabbi as a, as a teacher of the law. And so Simon's thinking, whoa, wait a minute. If he was such a godly spiritual guy, he would know, right? So he's trying to work this out. And at that exact moment, it says in verse 40, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed $500 and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? So in the world, as we have today with creditors and debtors, Jesus uses a very typical everyday story, right? Um, This was very common in those days. Uh, Simon would have understood what he was talking about because there are so many scriptures in the Law and the Prophets in the Old Testament which deal with the idea of forgiving debt. And so as these thoughts are running through his head, Jesus uses this, this everyday real-life story. He says, listen, these two guys owed. One owed a lot, one owed a little. And when they went, these debtors, when they went to the creditor, he just forgave them. So who do you think was more grateful? Oh, no, the guy who owed a lot. Okay. Now, obviously, the Lord is very carefully and intentionally kind of setting Simon up. I don't think he understood that at this time. And so Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave him more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. In other words, you've understood what I've just said to you. Then he turned to the woman, right? So imagine she's at his feet. He turns to the woman and he said to Simon, who probably was in the other side of the room, do you see this woman? Now, obviously, (coughs) he's not saying, do you see her with your physical eyes? Because, of course, that would be, you know, a silly question. Obviously, he sees her. She's in his house. Of course, Jesus is saying, do you see this woman? Do you understand, Simon, what she is doing to me? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. Again, that's a very common thing. You come into the house. A man, I told you, I think the last time I was here, on the lips, holy kiss. It's a sign of this is from where you speak. This is where life comes out of. Again, it's a sign of acceptance and of blessing. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. They are forgiven, for she loved much. He's referring now to the parable which he just, or the story, just, the question he just asked Simon literally a minute ago, who loves more? The person who's forgiven the most, right, of the 550. And he says, right here in your own house is an example. She's 500, Simon, you're 50. She's been forgiven so much 
which is why she loves me so much. But to whom little is forgiven, that same loves little. And then, it says in verse 48, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, what a great story. This is not one of those parables. This is not an allegory. It's something that happened. It's a real life occurrence. And Jesus uses this as an example to teach you and me what he appreciates and what touches his heart. So I want to talk this evening about devotion. Now, friends, in Hebrew, the word devotion, the actual word means this. It means the irrevocable giving over of something, even to the point of death. The irrevocable giving, you give something so completely, it's irrevocable, you cannot recover it again, and that it's given so completely, it's as if you have died to it and it has died to you. It's a complete surrender. That's what devotion means. That's that's the root of the idea of devotion. And this woman illustrates exactly this word. So I want to look at four words. I'm just going to give you four things that you can take home. And I pray you'll go home this evening before you turn on the TV or anything else. Please, won't you open your Bibles at the story and measure yourself against these four words and see where you can come closer to Christ. The first thing is that worshipers, worshipers, devoted disciples of Jesus are givers. Friends, worship, true worship, will always cost you something. When you choose to focus your attention on somebody else, by necessity, it's costing you something, by extension. When I take time energy, emotion, and I worship God, that is time, energy, and emotion which I'm not worshiping myself with or spending on something else. You've made a choice to spend of yourself in such a way that you will never, ever be able to recover that time or that emotion. And worship has to cost you something. The picture we see of this woman is that she comes in with this jar that's probably about that size, They're bigger at the bottom with long, thin necks typically, so it's easy to pour. But these jars, the interesting thing about this, I remember when I I researched this a few years ago and understood this, uh, I literally cried when I read this because it was so powerful. It just moved me so deeply. You know that this, uh, I mean, you'll know if you study the commentators that most um, Bible scholars will, will tell you that Um, And the scripture says, actually, in one other passage, which references a similar story, that these jars were worth a year's wages. And I used to use that as a focus point. Can you imagine taking your whole year's salary check and buying one jar of perfume and breaking that on Jesus? But I just found out recently 
and thank God for it because it's how good, how stunning is this? That more than it's more than the expense, people would buy these jars of perfume as an investment. It was like a retirement policy because these particular kind of perfumes were so expensive because they were incredibly difficult to make. The flowers they used were very rare, the mix of oils, etc., etc. And it was one of those things that was guaranteed to increase in value. So it would be more accurate to say that this woman took her future and broke it open on the feet of Jesus. That's why he says to her at the end of the story, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She understood somehow, the Holy Spirit helped her to understand that this is no ordinary man. Through this man, I'm going to bypass religion and enter into a relationship with the loving God. Isn't that stunning? Because if somebody said to you, forget one year's salary, especially if you're like in your 30s or 40s, I mean, you can make that up. No, no. All the money that you've saved for 30, 40 years for retirement, in other words, your peace of mind, your security, your guaranteed safety, take that and give it to Jesus today, and you're never going to get it back again. That takes faith. That takes faith. I have an insurance policy. I'm worth way more, way more dead than alive, right? My kids like that thought. My wife says, don't talk like that. I love you more than money. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. But no, it's true. Listen, there is that thing in us, this need to have our future secured. You know, if we know that we're getting enough money, if we have a house to live in, if we have a steady job, then we can really. And the life of faith is that irrespective of all of those things, which are not bad things, but regardless of them, whether I have them or not, I'm going to love Christ completely anyway. This is what this woman is modeling. And so she takes this jar, and it's interesting because you can Google it and just research these things. Once you break them, they can't be, you can't close them again. So she knew, imagine, she hears Jesus is in town, she finds out the address, she Google Maps the address, right, and finds out and, and goes into her safe and gets out this, 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 uh, this vase, this jar, and this alabaster jar, and she carries it, and as she's walking with joy, she's thinking, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pour this on his feet. I'm gonna pour. I'm, I'm giving this to him. You know, I mean, just unembarrassed, just no, no restraint. Before she set foot in Simon the Pharisee's house, that jar was already broken. And friends, we as Christians today, I mean, I'm looking at people. I'm assuming most of you know Christ as your Savior, right? Jesus died for your sins. I know Western culture, we've heard it a thousand times. Listen, like you, I've too many times just taken it for granted. The words roll off my tongue so easily. Oh, praise God, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, all my sins are forgiven. No, 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 whoa, hang on. Saved from an eternity in hell, much more than that, by the way, saved to an eternity in the presence of Christ, 
No weeping, no gnashing of teeth, all the good stuff. Forget that. In the presence of Jesus for eternity, my loving Savior, my God, my Redeemer, my King, and I have the privilege of having 70 or 80 years, all with Robocop technology, 120 years. Please, Lord. I'd like to live longer. There's lots of stuff going on. The time we have on earth, we have the privilege of practicing our devotion, which we will give to him for eternity. Amen. Think about that. We spend so much time in the church world focusing on holiness. Don't do this, do that, don't do that, do this. Can't watch this, can't watch that. Man, I've just got to keep myself it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. I think it's more important to rather live with this attitude every day when I wake up, Lord, I'm breaking the jar. And in our case, we are the jar. The perfume is us, friends. Jesus doesn't need things. He made them all. He's created a billion, trillion galaxies. He needs us. We are the perfume. We practice in private so that when we're together in public, we break, our, we break ourselves willingly at the feet of Christ so that somebody is in the room who's never smelled what that smells like, they smell that spiritual aroma. And they're like, you know what? That's beautiful. That's touched me. I don't know what, that just healed me. That just fixed something. That just moved me deeply. How do I get that? How do I get that? You get it through giving. I said in the earlier service, and look, at my age, and I've been saved long enough, that I can say this is not a trick, it's just true. Money is by far the easiest thing to give. Show me somebody who struggles or is disobedient and doesn't give tithes. And by the way, tithes are like paying the rent. Offerings are what you get blessed for, because that's a choice. But people, I, I, I mean, listen, there have been times in my life, I'm not going to lie to you, where I... There's been seasons where I've struggled, you know, and Lord, you understand, and of course the Lord understands. He doesn't stop loving me because I don't give, but it's only as I got older that I understood that actually, you know what, there was plenty of other stuff that I didn't need. I was just making immature choices. Money is easy to give. You write a check, you take some of that stuff, you put it in the bag. Giving myself, my time, my energy, my focus is way more difficult do you think Jesus needs us to give money? Well, he does because that's how the world runs and we use it to get other people saved. But what Jesus wants us to give is our heart and our soul. Listen, good marriages are good because those two people have worked hard at their marriage, right? Good kids are good because parents have worked hard at raising them the right way and have made the sacrifices. Good relationships with Christ don't just happen. They come from me daily, many times a day, making choices that I'm going to give to him instead of taking for myself. The second thing is that worshipers are weepers, are weepers. Uh, when I was leading our church, really a fantastic church in upstate New York, 15 happiest years of my life, truly just a one, really special, special congregation. 
And we had a wonderful, they still have a wonderful group of leaders. And do you know that I made the decision early on after I got to that church that I would never place anybody on the leadership in the church who was unable to cry in public. I mean, it wasn't a policy in our documents, but in my interactions as, we, as I saw people's lives, and listen, we had gifted people, sports people, business people, whatever, you know, educators, where even friends of mine were saying, you really, sh- that person should be an elder, or that person should be a trustee or deacon. And I'd look at them and very lovingly and respectfully say, no, I've, I've, I've never seen him cry in a time of worship, you know. What? What? He's a man. I said, no, I think if Jesus could weep over Jerusalem, I think he can cry in church. Right? When you look at the great men of God, Old and New Testament, I mean, Paul, I just read it yesterday in my quiet time. I weep over you, my children. I think if it's good enough for Paul the Apostle, it's good enough for us. It's not the act of crying. It's the heart that causes you, when you're in the presence of God, to so desire him that you can't help but just express it emotionally. Do you realize, friends, that the only thing more costly than blood is tears? Right? Cut a human being, blood comes out. Think about this. In times of great joy, times of great pain and great suffering, God has made us in such a way that the way that we express these deep things is that water comes out of our eyelids. I mean, whether it's with your life partner, with, uh, what, is more, what is more beautiful, let me use that word because it's the right word, than when your little kid hurts themselves, right? And they're bawling their eyes out. What's more gorgeous and, and memorable than taking that child in your arms and kissing their tears away? Some of the guys here are like, what is up with this dude? What movies has he been watching? No, listen to me. These are precious things. When my dad was paralyzed down one side, he, got, he gave his life to Christ two months before he died, and we, we, we had a very dysfunctional home. Couldn't stand him for half of my life. Then I got saved. Jesus took three and a half years, but I finally forgave him. He apologized to me, me to him, and slowly I was the black sheep, middle child, all that whole deal. Men, really, they should make a movie on this stuff. It's so common. And God restored our friendship. And when I was feeding him in the home, you know, one pea at a time, one carrot, and then it falls down, put it in his mouth, and feeling so um, honored that I had the privilege of doing this with my father, you know. And then this paralyzed guy so happy that it was me and that we had completely, God had completely held our relationship and, you know, tears coming out of his eyes, but he couldn't wipe them away. And then, you know, listen, my wedding was wonderful. The birth of my kids were great, but those moments were equally precious. If you had said to me 10 years before, this is what's going to be happening, I would have said, I'm sorry, you, I, just, I can't see it, right? Here this man is in his paralyzed state, saying to me through his eyes, I love you, my son. The words he didn't say to me enough, but he could express it in that way. 
And friends, when we're in a church like this, by the way, you have such a wonderful worship ministry. Oh, I, I wish, honestly, that, that sometimes we could just somehow, I don't know, through the web or so, whatever, just go and visit a few crummy churches where there's like two musicians, one of them's totally out of tune, and they're making a holy noise unto the Lord. No, no, it's not holy, it is a noise, and the Lord's not there, because, well, definitely the angels are outside, like, what an assignment, what did I do wrong, you know? You think I'm kidding, I mean, it's like, and I love, my dream is, is, is for eternity, please, Lord, that I can be a worship leader somehow. That's really what I actually want to do. You know, I love it. Why? I've always said, I remember as a senior pastor in our church, the first time I said, listen, the word of God is supreme. The act of preaching is not. What? Because I'd been raised, you know, the preaching of the word, brother. Even if you have no music, you have no worship, you have no prayer, the preaching of the word. And I was like, no, 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 no. Hang on. The word is supreme how we tap into it, express it, study it, whether it's through song, through prayer, through dance, or through preaching, how the truth gets shared, the methodology of it, well, that's whatever. They, it's all done to God's glory. They're equally important. And so we would, on a fairly regular basis, you know, we'd be planned, we'd have our schedule, um, and this is a super organized church. It's good. It shows respect to God. But, you know, we always came with the attitude that every Sunday, Holy Spirit, this is my prayer. Every Sunday would be, Lord, this is yours. We are yours. Do what you want with us. And sometimes the worship would be so stunning that I literally, it would be pointless to preach. Because the presence of God, I mean, people are just coming up front. They're crying. They're weeping. You know, laughing. Whatever it is, people embracing, relationships being restored. Because Jesus is there. Right? And there are bunches of people, as it were, washing his feet with their tears, pouring out the perfumes of their soul to him. Why on earth would I want to interrupt that? Because we have a schedule and I have to get to the preach. Right? Some of you are not sure. You're like, who is this guy? You understand? But you know, friends, if I'm not doing that at home... I'm never going to do that in public. So I used to say, if you want to be in leadership in this church and you cannot be intimate with your Savior in a family setting, that tells me that you're never intimate with Him at home. And for all your Bible knowledge and everything else, because the Bible tells me that God looks at the heart, as a leader serving Christ, I want to know that your heart is connected to Jesus. Because all the other stuff we can learn, you know, we'll get the knowledge and the experience and stuff. But man, if, you're, if you are not devoted to him, if you are not willing to give and to weep like this lady, how can you possibly hope to lead his people? The third thing is that we worshipers are lovers or are loving. So think about, think about how physical this experience was. So she wipes his feet with her hair, then she kissed his feet, and then poured perfume. I don't know if, uh, maybe she rubbed it in, I don't know. These are acts of pure love and devotion. Let me ask you this question. As a woman, 
today, 2014, who would you do this kind of stuff for? Thank you. That's the right answer. Thank you, Jesus. This could have been a really awkward uh, moment. For your husband, right? As a husband, you do it for your wife. Uh, public confession. I love you. I told the earlier, so I don't know why it is. I feel so free with you. My wife doesn't mind. She's heard this many times. I'm just not a foot person. She loves having her feet massaged. I'm like, honey, there are two things I don't do, okay? Oh, it took me years to say that language. But finally, <laughs> we'd been married a few years. We already had one kid, and I was like, honey, I'm sorry, but I can't do feet and dishes. <laughs> and because she's a woman, she automatically assumed that I was saying that her feet are like doing the dishes. <laughs> and after three hours of, no, 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 <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. Sorry, ladies, but wow. Anyway... <laughs> And, you know, poor woman. And then I went to a marriage seminar, and the pastor and his wife, great people, and they're like, whatever pleases your wife, you should do that. She's nudging me. One more foot rub, never again. I don't know what it is. I think, seriously, Italian, that psycho-control cleanliness thing, for us old Italians, somewhere back in my past, my mother must have put into me that feet are just evil things, you know, or <laughs> dirty things. I'm, I'm serious. I really, before the Lord... It's funny, but it's not, because she's lost out on 27 and a half years of feet rubs. But, so for her birthday every year, it's like, here's a certificate, go and get a pedicure. God bless. Oh, thank you, honey. I'm like, this is the only time you're going to get it, so enjoy it. But my point is that, yes, that's what a, a man would do for his wife. This is what partly the story is trying to say to us is that whether you're a man or a woman, if you're a child of God, that the level of intimacy in your devotion is so strong and so deep that it's got to manifest somehow physically. I'm sure in this church, as in any church, there's a bunch of dudes who just do this through the whole worship, right? And a bunch of dudesses who do it too. And, you know, you've heard it before. I used to, well, that's not true. I've never been like that, but... Uh, I've, been, I've, been not, not, I've been not obedient or not good in other ways, but not in that way. But, you know, these are the same guys who are like, go Tom Brady! But in church, it's... And I know what it is. You know, those of us who've come out of more traditional backgrounds, I was a Catholic for 20 years, that equaled reverence. When you come into God's presence, the reverential thing to do is to not make any noise. Remember your parents leaning over, I'm going to kill you when you get out, shut up! The priest is talking, you know, like violence in church while the Word of God, let's love everybody, you know, <laughs> pinching on that, all that sort of stuff, right? It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. But, you know, that's not the expectation that the Lord has of us. Because, again, think of the story when a bunch of kids come to play with him and talk with him and are sitting on his lap. And the, the disciples, Jewish men, who are used to the kids being over there because the adults are talking, the guys are speaking, they come over and they want to shoo the kids away. And what is Jesus' response? No, no, wait a minute. There's genuine connection going on here. By the way, unless you become like them, you can't even understand the kingdom of God. Unless you have this kind of freedom, this kind of joy, this kind of willingness to just be with me, Guys, you just nev you're never going to understand the kingdom. That was a radical, radical lesson. 
one of the things that Christ did by being amongst people all the time was that he completely reversed what the existing religious leaders of the day did, which was, we sit over here, the people sit over there. And Christ came and said, um, Zacchaeus, let's go eat at your house. Simon, I'd love to come and eat. Where do I lie down? Sure. Grapes, please. Right? It was just, he's a human being. He's a man. He loves people. People love him. And then the last thing is that worshipers are unashamed. Worshippers are unashamed. You know, true worshipers, right? I'm, notice I'm not saying loud people. I'm saying, because every church also has those crazy aunties in the front row. They use, they, never mind. But you know, that whoa, woo, and it's like, whew, okay. I used to call them spiritual groupies, but I don't anymore. They're like, because they like, they follow their favorite preacher or their favorite band, and they just, they just go, you know, they just go crazy. And people are visiting and thinking, who, like, what asylum, who, who are these lunatic people, you know? And really, sometimes it's, it's really, you could have you two on, and they'd be, woo. So I'm not talking about silly emotionalism. I am talking about grown-up emotions and being unashamed and unembarrassed because, you know, the truth is that when you are devoted to Christ and you are giving, you are weeping, you are surrendering, it's impossible not to notice that. It's impossible not to notice that. When somebody is completely given over in the moment to worshiping Christ with all of who they are, those people have made a conscious decision to focus on God and nothing else outside of Him matters. I was saying earlier on, just to cause a little bit of holy trouble, but Pastor Tim loves me, so he didn't mind. Actually, he's so radical, I wouldn't be surprised at all if you do this soon. Let's get all of the chairs out of here, right? Let's break this terrible, we'll come and sit and watch while you talk. Not your fault, not anybody's fault. Let's just break the routine. Let's have a BYOB, bring your own beanbag day. Thank you. I so appreciate somebody laughing at that because I think it's really funny. Um, as long as it's clean, no feet, please. But bring your own beanbags. You know, let's go unplugged, couple of guitars, no cameras, nothing. Let's not record anything. And let him just sit like a guru. Maybe he can wear a robe or something. In the, no, I'm kidding. And Because he'd do it. But anyway, and he can preach in the round, as it were. Why not? Where we can actually see one another instead of looking at the back of each other's head. Oh, he hasn't washed his hair for at least three days kind of thoughts. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And you can actually be, you know what the goal of it would be is that as you see others all around you entering in and loving Christ, it will motivate you and move you to do the same. Can you imagine how wonderful it would be to not have a sermon? Because we have lots of sermons. I have nothing against preaching. I'm a preacher. But... Um, but it's more important to me to be a lover of Christ than to be a preacher of the word. And just once in a while, just do it, right? We got air conditioning and no time constraints, right? Let's combine a couple of services, get a little bit sweaty, turn the aircon on, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. 
And let's just begin to worship and let people pray out and let people say out loud, I love you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, thank you for what you did for me on Tuesday. Thank you for saving my mom. I love you, Jesus. Can we say the L word out loud? Can we let our children, as much as we as couples want our kids to see a good example of a marriage, more importantly, can they first see a great example of their parents loving Christ unashamedly in public? Because that's what worshipers do. That's what worshipers do. And if we don't take the time, last slide please, to apply some of this stuff to ourselves, to me, to you, then I don't know if it's really going to help us. You know, I, I pray that you'll take the, it's Luke chapter 7 verse 36, it's a few verses, take an hour of your time tonight and ask yourself, of these four, maybe it's one, two, three, or all four, do I need to give more of myself to Christ? And, and measure it, giving financially, giving, more importantly, time-wise, giving in acts of service. When was, ask yourself this question. If you hear a couple, ask each other on the way home, right? Don't wait till you get, ask yourselves before you get home. When was the last time that you were in the Lord's presence and so, just so enjoying His presence, he, it moved you so deeply that you just began to cry. Tears of joy. Maybe there's some things in your life that you need to give Christ access to so that He can heal you. And weeping is part of the healing, right? It's the way He's designed us. You can trust Him with your tears. And when, when was the last time that you publicly, these, this was a very public act, I'm not talking about your own quiet time, but that you publicly, I mean, I want to encourage you in your small groups, small group leaders, get everybody in your small group on Wednesday to say out loud to the group, I love Jesus, you know, I, love, I love you, Lord. Speak to the Lord lovingly in front of your friend, your family. When is the last time you openly loved him? Because again, it's not difficult for us to do it with other people, why should it be hard to do for us to do with him? And then when was the last time that you were just unashamed about Jesus? Just unashamed. I started a, a, a new job. A very good friend of mine in our church, we've been walking together a very long time, very successful businessman. And uh, you know I lead the Shakaba Foundation. It's a global leadership development thingy. And he really wanted to support me. He said, listen, we need a marketing director at our company. It's what I used to do. He said, why don't you come in a couple of days a week and, um, you know, we'll get behind you financially. But really, I think you could really help us. So it was an answer to prayer. It was wonderful. And I said to him, you know, Dave, on one condition, I know that most of the people who work for you are not saved. I've been a pastor for 22 years. More importantly, I've been a Christian for 32 years. And I'm, not, I'm way too old to be embarrassed and apologetic about my faith and my Savior. So I understand that this is a business setting. It's not a church setting. I've had a lot to do with business people. I think they're some of the most wonderful people in the world. Anyway, um, and some of the craziest. But I said, Dave, on the condition that you, I can't not be Lorenzo. He says, no, no. No, the opposite is true is that I want you to be you. So one of his key leaders, it's his number two guy, just gone through a divorce, had settled, but there were some issues. 
lawyer leaves his office. I just happened to walk in afterwards. I could see he was not doing well. Closed the door. I said, hey, what's up? He told me. And I said, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. And he said, oh, thank you. I would appreciate that. I would appreciate that. And right there, the Holy Spirit said to me, now, you know if you walk out of this room, you're not going to pray for him. You're going to forget. How many times have you said, I'll pray for you? Or be honest, are you that Christian that sees somebody walking towards you and you say, Father, bless John in Jesus' name. Hey, John, I've, I've been praying for you, right? <laughs> I've done it. So have you. Don't be naughty now. Anyway, and uh, so, and the Spirit clearly said to me, Lorenzo, pray for him now. So I said, do you mind if I pray for you? And I was like, no, not at all. He's a, he's a non-practicing Catholic. Sweet guy. Oh, this woman should never have, Anyway, whatever. Lovely. What a... Gr- I mean, I'd marry him if I was a chicken unmarried, <laughs> like 42. Anyway, he really is. Wonderful father. I really like him. So he bows his head, and I prayed, you know, prayed for him. Lord, help him. Oh, very devotional prayer. And as I said, amen, and I looked up, he looked up like this, and he said, um, thank you, pastor, and he makes the sign of the cross, right? It's a gorgeous, touching, touching moment. Do you know that since then in conversations we've had, he says to me the other day, you know, you're not like any priests that I know. I said, no, well, that's because I'm not a priest. You know, I'm married with two kids, and you can work out the math. And he laughed, and he said, no, no, I mean like religious people. He said, like, you're such a... I know, you're such a friendly guy, and it's like you just love everybody. And I said to him, well, it never used to be like that. But you know, I don't want to give you his name, I'll call him Bob. But I said, you know, Bob, when you understand that Jesus loves you, and you love him back, it makes you love everybody else, because he does. When you are connected to him devotionally, it makes you a devotional person. When you take the time like this woman, to give, to weep, to be unembarrassed. Because for me, it was like, this was the second day that I was, I'd started this job. I feel like it was a test, you know, that the Holy Spirit was, was, was wanting to see if I really would live up to what I'd said, that I'm going to talk about my Savior, and I'm going to show Him in very practical ways, because I love Him. I'm unashamed about Him. It was an act of worship. And so you'll You'll work it out in your own life what that is for you. But I want to encourage you to think about some of the things you've heard tonight and, and just to ask yourself, do I need to give or weep or love? You know, am I too embarrassed? Am I too shy about my Savior? Think about this woman in a male culture 2,000 years ago risking her life, spending her future in the present because she just couldn't help loving her Savior. 